Broadcasting live from the Wellness Wonderland, you're listening to the Wellness Wonderland Radio. I'm Katie, and each week I chat with the most inspirational people on the planet on how to stay inspired in all areas of life. As you listen, feel free to tweet at me, at Katie Dalebout, or use the hashtag Wellness Wonderland. I'd love to hear your aha moments. So grab your headphones and listen on the go, or cuddle up with a notebook as we dive in deep with authentic conversations right here in Wonderland. Welcome back to the Wellness Wonderland Radio, everybody. I am so excited for today's episode because it is the first episode of the Wellness Wonderland Radio where our guest is someone local to me here in Detroit. We have nationally renowned Dr. Joel Kahn here in Wonderland, and Dr. Kahn is the interprovincial cardiologist, meaning he treats patients with a blend of traditional cardiology, like stents, as well as preventative cardiology, which is much like what we talk about here in the Wellness Wonderland, diet, exercise, meditation, lifestyle, all of the stuff that we promote here. So it's a rare blend, which makes him so cool. So I'm so excited that he's here. He also writes for Reader's Digest magazine and has a book coming out in January. Is that right, Dr. Khan? That's right. Thank you for mentioning that. That's awesome. So I came across him after reading his countless amazing articles on Mind Body Green and then heard him on the Rich Roll podcast all before I realized he was local. So when I did, I was like, I have to meet this Kundalini Yogi fellow and have him on the show. So thank you so much for being here. I'm excited to find a local person podcasting out to the world. So we're equally uh, equally in the same club. Yay. Okay, cool. Well, there's a ton that I want to ask you, and I'm just really, really eager. So let's jump right in. So You live in what I would say your own version of the wellness wonderland now, and you help your patients get there too. Have you always been this passionate about health and wellness? Can you kind of start us out and just introduce us to you by telling us your journey and how you came to be so passionate about plant-based wellness? Yeah, I used to own a butcher shop and a cigarette store, so it's been a journey, but no, that's (laughs) just joking. No, I'm a physician, so... One would hope that underneath all that, uh, in everybody, there's a passion to do good and help people, uh, or it's time to get out of the business. And uh, by no means have I lost that uh, general base. But um, in a real brief way, I entered this field um, always being committed to exercise during, I was not an athlete, I'm not an athlete, but I was committed to exercise during undergrad uh, medical school. And, you know, those could be rigorous schedules to continue to do that, but it just always felt good. I didn't try and set any school records and uh, wouldn't have done that if I could, but I just made it into my routine. And then from a, from a food standpoint, I really got into this. I grew up keeping kosher. I went to University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, a pretty hip place in the uh, mid-70s, late 70s. And the easiest path to uh, following some religious guidelines to eat was to be a vegetarian at college. And so really starting uh, about age 18, it wasn't a huge jump. I, I was close anyways, but, you know, I would eat in Indian places and a few funky little back corner restaurants that characterize uh, vegetarian food in the 1970s. Um, and then uh, as training went on, um, this, the real seminal moment was I was headed out of town for about three, four days, 
during my residency in internal medicine, and somebody handed me a book by John Robbins. And if you don't know who John Robbins is, we'll talk about that for 90 seconds. But it was called The Diet for New America. I was going to do some hiking in Aspen for three days. And I read this book cover to cover. It lays out the first book I ever read in one of the first books that made the case why a plant-based diet, a vegetarian diet, a vegan diet is good for the health, the planet, the um, animals, of course, the soul. And it really struck me. And I was with my wife, uh, my wife back then, my wife now. She read it too, and we basically made the big jump um, to say our home is going to be a vegetarian home. And there were still were, you know, I don't love titles, but we weren't a vegan uh, at the time. Um, and then as it continued on in 1990, and this is probably the end of the story, you know, I, I was kind of doing my own thing at home and doing cardiology by day. But then uh, Dean Ornish, Dr. Dean Ornish, cardiologist in California, I was a fiend for reading all the medical journals and. Uh, he published a study called the Lifestyle Heart Trial, but he used a nearly or completely vegan diet to treat very, very bad heart patients and showed with the most sophisticated technology you could actually reverse um, heart blockage, something that, I mean, I was studying everything out there from medication to surgery to stents to balloons. Nobody was talking about reversing heart blockage, and he showed with very well-accepted scientific uh, methods that that could be done. So uh, 1990 was a big year, and you know, in my personal life, we said, let's just take the last leap and become kind of Ornish disciples, which was essentially a vegan lifestyle, fully plant-based. And I started you know, talking to my patients about it. And uh, so it, it's actually grown and grown. I mean, I actually do both a better job of it now. It's a better world to be teaching people about the value and virtues and the methods of plant-based diet. Uh, and my passion about it is probably highest that's ever been in my life. So it's going to keep going. That's amazing, and so needed um, here where we are. And um, and I like and I like what you said there about it's much easier now and and from when you started back in the seventies. However, um, I would still argue to say there is a long way to go. And also where we live compared to some other areas, you know, like in California, you know, I always joke, like everybody there looks like me, everybody's vegan, everybody, you know, and here it's, it's kind of a different story. So would, what would you say, um, bridging that gap and talking a little bit too about that gap in the medical community where this is not the um this is not the mainstream way of life and how do you kind of combat that well it in sadly though i'm optimistic um hospitals in the medical community are probably some of the worst examples out there of what has largely been uh, you know good changes you just have to go through any grocery store go through many decent restaurants that have little V's for vegetarian or GS for gluten-free. And you see all kinds of little pockets of hope that people are paying attention and uh, responding. Um, hospitals, uh, it's not happening, and it should be the leader. I'm very passionate about this topic. Hospitals should be leading the charge. We're, we have science now. We have hundreds of studies that show that a nearly or completely plant-based diet stops disease, prevents disease, reverses disease. I can list 25 of them that this has been shown. Um, and it's not controversial, but it's not popular. It's not supported by pharmaceutical reps that are detailing doctors on broccoli and artichokes and pomegranate. And um, we don't get much training. Like everybody's heard way too many times, doctors to this day don't get much nutritional training. So I'm pushing real hard. We've got, you know, in town some real 
uh, you know, health community of some little sparks of light. Vending machines are a little healthier. A few choices in cafeterias. A number of hospitals have pulled all the friars out. But it's a real uphill battle in the medical community. And um, I, I'm not knocking any of my friends, but doctors are no more likely to embrace a plant-based diet. They're going to uh, be running to their capital grills and steakhouses, uh, of which you can get excellent broccoli and baked potatoes, by the way. But... Um, uh, you know, they're, they're really entrenched in a meat-based life, and uh, it's going to take some time there. But uh, I'm really, really planning to lead that charge. That's amazing. We, we need you, and, um, and we need all of us, you know, just bringing light on this conversation like we're having right now because it, it isn't the mainstream thing. Um, yeah, and I'll tell you, like you say, we are not um, – this is not the same as living in Santa Monica, and I don't live there, but um, – um, you know, even in our community, and there's probably people listening to this that aren't living in the Detroit area, but four, five, six of the new restaurants that have opened in the last two, three months have menus that are not just you have to go in and special ask, but there's five entrees on them that are uh, vegan or vegetarian and marked clearly and chefs that are responding. So if we can get the fast food industry to respond, I think we'll really see a leap, a quantum leap. If we can, there's a buzz that McDonald's is waking up after being, you know, the evil Satan of uh, health problems in this country. And they are, they deserve every uh, blame uh, that we can throw at them for diabetes and heart disease and obesity, but we need them to be the leader. And, uh, you know, they did a little fruit and vegetable thing just recently, but uh, I had a friend that was at McDonald's university, which is an actual place, I think in, in Illinois uh, last week. And he told me that it was a food conference and some of the options include tofu scramble for breakfast and, plantain chips and you know just some things that really stood out um and anyways uh it's going to take big corporate america to to shift the yeah. tide um and and then hopefully they'll see there's money in it because god knows we need the health yeah absolutely i mean i know you and i were both um at the same event a couple months ago when joe cross came to town and he was saying that the you know, the McDonald's and these fast food chains can actually be our best friends. Um, you know, it's every time we are voting when we purchase something. So yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and uh, so far, there's just lots of potential in them. It's a reality, but it's going to happen. I mean, and anybody listening here is plant-based, you know, be vocal and be patient and, um, you know, support those places that are doing a good job. Uh, I don't want to blast out anybody. You know, walk into Chipotle or Qdoba or other places and get a relatively healthy plant-based, bean-based food choice, and they'll do well because uh, I think people are sick and tired of spilling over into the next seat because they've eaten a few too many donuts and and white bread burgers. Yeah, and just and just bring it back into the kitchen too, and knowing that. Um, that's kind of where health starts. So I'd love to transition now. We've talked a bit about food, but let's talk a little bit about exercise and how functional exercise is a great way to get someone started with movement. It's something I know I've heard you talk about. and It's something that I really love because like you said earlier, I'm also not an athlete. I've never um, really been that athletic. I love yoga, but for me, functional exercise is really my favorite way to move, whether it's just like walking outside and, and just getting people moving. Um, could you talk about the best way for someone to kind of get started with exercise? Well, I agree. Uh, not everybody's going to 
find a gym, although it's easier to find gyms than it used to be, and particularly the $10 and $19 a month gyms that can do the job with some weights and some cardio, and, and you certainly do want to mix it up. And you know, many people will say now standing on an elliptical for 30 minutes is is better than sitting on your rear eating uh, bonbons, but uh, it may not be the ideal form of exercise, but at least it's out there. There's options. There's workplaces that are offering it. So uh, the standard gym is always a great place to try and get in half an hour most days of the week and meet uh, American Heart Association recommendations of 150 minutes a week of uh, moderate exercise. But building it into your life, what you said, functional exercise, which is part, and I mean, it's so trite, but my car is always the farthest car from the stairs at uh, the hospital I'm at, and I just get another three-minute brisk walk, a little bit uphill in the morning, taking the stairs for one or two flights if you can do it or more if you're in the shape, um, standing as much as you can. I'm talking in the workplace, if you're taking a phone call. In fact, I'm going to stand up right now. I am sitting. I'm being a bad example, but now I'm standing, mm-hmm. um, answering phone calls, standing, uh, using high desks, standing desks. If you can get your boss to buy one or you can buy one, a treadmill desk, uh, walking a mile an hour, um, doing some squats, you know, for five minutes or three minutes every hour at work. There is one great program. I think it's called abeforfitness.com, abeforfitness.com. A friend of mine, Dr. David Katz, who's professor and head of preventive medicine at Yale, uh, has a whole free series of videos, totally free for any employer, for anybody. Just uh, It's called Activity Burst Exercise. That's what AB is. But it's just little things you could do at your desk at work for three minutes, two, three times a day, uh, tricep dips and squats and uh, plank and you know it's a little crazy but these are videos that guide you through them so you don't feel like you're doing it alone and you know little game changers like that it's a whole field of science that um, Dr. James Levine at the Mayo Clinic has worked on and really the difference he believes between thin and heavy people is to some degree our diet but he thinks it's actually how much you just move during the day in usual activities so butt time is bad time butt yeah time is bad brain time so uh you know, we really need to build into, again, hospital culture. It should be walking meetings, standing desks. All that stuff is starting to happen, actually. Our, our CEO of our hospital has a standing desk. He doesn't have a chair in his office, and I love to see that example. Nice. That's amazing. Well, we'll put that link below because I think everybody could use some help um, with that and some support. So Good. I guess um, – Obviously, exercise is great for heart health, and I know that's another one of your huge passions. So could you give us the three most important things for the prevention for prevention for heart health, um, talking to young people? Yeah. So number one, and it's it's boring, but you do have to know your numbers. You, you do need to know if you've got normal or elevated blood pressure because you won't feel bad. And if it's elevated, you need to kind of figure out why. And we go back to diet and exercise and sleep and weight. But you need to know your blood pressure. You need to know your cholesterol. One in about 400 or one in 500 people did get a genetic bad deal from their parents and their cholesterol at age 18 or 25 could be 350 or 400. They are at risk if unrecognized for heart attacks age 35 or 40 and they need to get on intense therapy. Um, you probably want to know your blood sugar fasting, uh, particularly if you're overweight because diabetes is exploding. And again, so you want to know if you already cross that line into some of the major risk factors. Of course, you want to know the number of cigarettes you smoke a day, which always should be zero. Um, and you've got to be honest about that. That's nothing but a death habit. Um, so you want to know your numbers. Number two, I mean, 
my constant message is P to A ratio, plant to animal ratio, and that's the way you eat. And whether it's 100% P to A like I am, my ratio is, you know, 100 to nothing because it's all plant-based. Uh, but if it's not, you know, the the U- United States food plate, the one that came out two or three years ago, is actually 75% P to A, plant to animal. And I think that's a remarkable um, statement by the government that finally got something right, that half the plate should be fruits and vegetables, a quarter of the plate should be whole grains, and then a quarter of the plate could be your choice of protein, but that could be tofu, tempeh, seitan, and it could be uh, egg whites, and it could be fish, and hopefully it's not much red meat, because red meat causes you to die early, so don't eat mm-hmm. it, don't eat processed red meat, this this is science, it's um it's every week there's a new study that shows that red meat and particularly processed red meat. The, there's a bacon craze going on in this country. Bacon is one of the most dangerous foods out there, according to medical science, for both rectal cancer, and that's not what I'm signing up for, Ugh. and for, pre, for premature death. Yeah. Um, I hate to slam the bacon things. people, but the bacon people are faking people in terms of actual good health, and they need to get off that habit. And so that's number two. And then number three would be, you know, know your numbers, the P-day ratio, and then probably movement, some sort of movement. I love yoga as you do. I get in maybe two to three classes a week, and then I do some other more intense cardio just for the fun of it. I love group classes where there's some music and some friends. Um, but you don't have to be that intense, as we said. But um, And you can do it in little pieces. That's uh, science supports 10 minutes three times a day is generally as effective as 30 minutes nonstop, so lunch breaks and uh, before work and before bed when you really don't have the energy to maybe do the whole workout, but get down to some sit-ups or push-ups or planks or get a jump rope or something simple. Get a uh, kettlebell if your back's good and, and, you know, move for 10 minutes. I love that. I'd never heard that before, that 10-minute increments is just as effective as 30 minutes as a whole. That's that's really awesome. I love that. Good. Um, well, we hear a lot about high blood pressure. Um, I was wondering if you had, if you could talk a little bit about the risks and some things related to low blood pressure. Yeah, I mean, low blood pressure is less common. Uh, there's actual medical conditions. They're rare. If your adrenal glands fail, and that's called Addison's disease, and that's just a rare condition. I mean, I don't have, maybe you got two people who have that medical condition. I have a, a large practice. Um, uh, obviously, over medication. Uh, what else? With the low blood, I mean, your brain's going to be okay for most people. With a, a lot of thinner, smaller women and men, blood pressure ninety-five to one hundred, they do just fine. So, um, we're not experiencing a real rash of uh, low blood pressure. We are definitely experiencing a real outbreak of high blood pressure because it's linked to it's linked to animal-based diets, processed foods, the salt in bread, the salt in fast foods, salt and frozen dinners, um, you know, pastries, very high in salt and such. So uh, I always urge people, there's uh, you know, all, extremely long list of reasons to be largely or completely plant-based. And um, I'll give you my latest little bit of research and something I wrote about this week on Mind, Body, Green was the Seventh-day Adventists, about 18 million Christians that follow a particular type of Christianity were um, health is emphasized and vegetarianism is much more common than the norm. And that vegetarianism ranges from vegan 10% to pesco vegetarian, those that eat fish a few times a week, those that eat dairy a few times a week. And there's about 50% vegetarian, 50% non-vegetarian amongst 18 million Seventh-day Adventists. 
And the cool thing is since 1958, they've been doing studies on these people to see if there's any difference in their diet pattern and their health. And there's like no blood pressure problems in the vegans and the highly uh, consistent vegetarians. And the blood pressure problems are much more common in the meat-eating group. Uh, and these people live in the same neighborhoods. They go to the same church. They, you know, they're very similar socioeconomically. So uh, it's one of the more remarkable studies out there that shows, again, um, something about uh, staying away from uh, animals it can help so many aspects of your health and yeah. uh, stay keep off of medicines. Yeah, absolutely. So we've we've talked over and over again just so far now about how clearly um, diet has a huge effect on health. So with someone who you know, like most of America, honestly, who is just really deeply rooted in unhealthy habits and in an unhealthy way of life, really kind of stuck in that fast food, sad, standard American diet, and maybe kind of think that changing their life is hopeless. How would you help someone get a sustainable start um, if it was very, very new to them? Yeah, well, you know, in my, I don't demand my patients, really, I don't demand much. I try and educate them. They're grown-ups. they got to make some personal responsible decisions. But I also don't expect them to go overnight, although sometimes, just like cold turkey and smoking is often the best approach, sometimes a, a short burst of interest in going completely plant-based works the best rather than dragging it out. So what I will do is I will ask my patients, I write this on a prescription pad every time, you need to watch a video called Forks Over Knives, which makes the case in 90 minutes why from a medical standpoint, heart disease, diabetes, obesity, blood pressure, sexual function, um, all the important things out there that a plant-based diet uh, can very rapidly improve people's uh, medical issues. Uh, number two, I usually ask them to read one book, um, and it could be a book by Dr. Dean Ornish that I mentioned, like The Spectrum. It could be Dr. Esselstyn's book on reversing heart disease. It could be Dr. Joel Furman's book, Eat to Live. It could be Dr. Neil Barnard's book. But the third and final thing to answer your question is I'll refer them usually to a website. And usually it'll be the, I don't know if you know this website, you might want to post it, but pcrm.org. P, P and Peter, C, Kathy, R, Rachel, M, Mary. Org, which is Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. But that's run by Dr. Neil Barnard. It's a very deep website full of uh, cooking and medical and scientific data. But they have a 21-day kickstart program, how to go plant-based for 21 days. And if you sign up for free, you get emails, you get text messages. Carrie Underwood might send you, you know, an email. Obviously, it's probably a can, prepackaged one, of course, things like that. But it's really well done. And I will say PETA, P-E-T-A dot org, has the same three-week, 21-day. Um, there's others out there. But these are completely free. They're very well thought out. They send you menus. What are you going to eat on Monday morning, lunch, and dinner if you need some guidance, uh, shopping list. So those are kind of the attack modes uh, to get into their brain a bit. But uh, again, going back to that same Dr. David Katz at Yale, he says, you know, um, skill power creates willpower. I want to be plant-based, but you need skill power. And you need some skills. You need to know if you need a blender or a Nutribullet or uh, a juicer, and you need to know where to go shopping and what should be in your pantry. And um, these are the websites that really have been very helpful to me effectively communicating to patients. 
I love that. And there is, there's so much good out there. I mean, I mean, I know we're both fans of Joe Cross and the film Fat, Sick and Nearly Dead, I think could really help catapult people and just exploring Mind Body Green for, for a couple hours. There's so much wellness knowledge there. And I love that Jason really has made it a place that really brings wellness to the masses and to people who yeah. it's not their passion, you know, like yeah. you and I were into this, but there's a lot of people who aren't. So I think that's really cool. Yeah, it's uh, they just set a record, and almost six million people uh, looked at Mind Body Green last month, which oh, is just so cool. unbelievable and and very helpful. Yeah, absolutely. So we've talked a lot about um, vegetarianism, but now I'd like to bring up the big G word, and could we talk a little bit about gluten and its effects on the body? Yes, um, you know I've I've been a reasonably a sincere student on this, and I'm pretty much a, a freelance. I don't have any ties to any particular manufacturer of vitamins or food or products. So, um, is it is gluten an issue for one percent of America? Absolutely, because that's approximately the number of people that have celiac disease, and they absolutely need to feel better by avoiding all forms of gluten. And that's more than just wheat; that's barley, rye, spelt, and such, even some oats. Um, and then. There's this controversial how many people are gluten sensitive or having some medical problems that um, don't affect their GI tract specifically, which is usually where celiac disease. Are the people with migraines? Are the people with rashes? Are the people that haven't lost weight? People with thyroid issues like Hashimoto's? And I believe there are. I don't think it's all of America. Um, and I often encourage my patients who just aren't feeling great for a variety of reasons to take four weeks and doing what's called an elimination diet and really trying to stick to a gluten-free um, diet for four weeks. There's plenty of options, although they're not very healthy options in most of the grocery stores, but at least there are options for bread and such. And There's a website, gluten.com. I just tell them to go take a look at it. That gives them some information. But, you know, there are a few doctors out right now. I won't name them. Everybody probably knows them that are, you know, uh, expressing the goal that all of America goes gluten-free to get back to our paleolithic lifestyle when we were happy and all had three-car garages full of Ferraris and we're eating our caveman hunter-gatherer diet without wheat and uh, we're experiencing perfect health, which is a story that's so fraught with um, sort of uh, Victorian uh, overtones, but uh, absolutely nonsense because people lived till age 25 or 30 back then. Uh, it wasn't really the lifestyle we were looking for. And I don't, you know, I, I'll tell one one quick anecdote. I, I lecture at university settings quite frequently, and I was at a conference dedicated to gluten a few months ago. I wrote a Mind Body Green about this called Eating with the Kings of Gluten. And around the table was a faculty dinner where a couple physicians that have New York Times bestsellers and are teaching people to go gluten free just across the board, all of America. And they wouldn't touch the bread bowl without question. And then there was a Harvard professor who is the scientist who's discovered all the chemistry of gluten, how it affects the gut. He's creating a drug that will ultimately um, allow celiac patients to eat some bread products. Um, a real amazing guy probably will be in line for a Nobel Prize, in my opinion, for all the amazing science he's done. He's Italian. And his hand wouldn't leave the bread basket. I mean, he knew he knows as much about it as anything. But I asked him about it. He goes, I'm alive. I enjoy it. Bread's part of my tradition. I'm not giving that bread. It doesn't bother me. So I think that's a much more reasonable place. Uh, do we eat too much bread? Is there a lot of hidden salt in bread? Are there increasingly GMO concerns about wheat, although it's not one of the major sources of GMO uh, genetically modified products? Yeah, there is. But 
Um, if a person listening to this is struggling with weight or thyroid or migraines or other things, by all means, grab onto one of these well-written books about uh, the problems with wheat and uh, go for it. But uh, does every listener have to you know, have only collard wrap sandwiches the rest of their life, which is an absolutely great option, but it's not so very good. easy on the road and at work. I don't think it's absolutely necessary to abandon all gluten. So my next question for you would be this then. It's, it's really easy to still be vegan or vegetarian but be very unhealthy, you know, eating a lot of gluten and a lot of processed food and a lot of soy and a lot of GMOs. So would you say that you would rather see someone eating, if they're not transitioned to, you know, a more raw and plant-based diet and their, their vegan diet is um, – is less than perfection, would you rather them have a diet where they are eating cleaner, but there's a little bit of um, of some humane animal protein within that diet? Yeah, that's a, it may be an oxymoron to call anything humane animal protein because whether they let them go eat their grass in the field, I mean, a couple comments real quick about that. I mean, yeah. And, and I say it somewhat dispassionate. I, I, I don't go to slaughterhouses. I've watched all the videos and I have no doubt uh, CAFO, C-A-F-O, kind of uh, factory animal farming is a horrendous outgrowth of the last 50 to 70 years. But um, the grass-fed idea, which theoretically would create healthier animals, healthier beef, healthier chicken and all, higher omega-3 to omega-6 ratios, it's not sustainable in America. There's no way there's ever going to be more than 2 or 3% of all animal products being grass-fed because it is, it is much more efficient to do the horrible factory farming we don't have the land. We're, we, you know, we, we're going to use even more resources, more water, more grain feed, more grass and all to um, sustain a large industry. Um, if all of America were on grass-fed beef, there would literally be no room right now for humans. So as our population is growing worldwide, grass-fed options are, are kind of romantic again, but they're not really realistic unless some major technology breakthrough occurs. Um, so the best thing is just to limit the amount of animal products to as close to zero as you can for the planet, for the animals, for our own health. But specifically to answer your question, yeah, a, a healthy version of the Mediterranean diet, which is going to be very plant strong with grains, with legumes, and with lean sources of protein, or a very healthy form of what is popular to call the Paleolithic diet, which is going to be just like the Mediterranean diet but no grains and no dairy. Uh, there may be some dairy in the Mediterranean diet, but it's going to be very plant-strong, very colorful, very lean protein. Um, that's been shown already in a few small studies to be a healthy version. It's not the paleo diet that most uh, gym nuts are eating, which is the bacon and uh, steaks and burgers and, you know, right. burgers. And bur a burger and white bread is not a paleo diet. I'm sorry to burst everybody's bubble if, if you're walking into a uh, and eating sliders, you're not a caveman. You know, you're going to be my patient on the cat table. I'm going to put right. a stent, and I'm going to give you Cialis for your erectile dysfunction, and uh, that's what you're going to get for eating that version of a horrible diet. But um, there are very clean diets that are not completely plant-based. They're probably great options, which the Mediterranean diet is a great example. Yeah, absolutely, and and I think um, that's a great transitional diet, and I think it's a great diet. You know, if that works for someone to be on, then that's great. And and I, and I know you spoke about this um, when you were talking with Rich Roll, and it's just really the fact that, you know, all of these people, you know, whether they differ in, in opinions, these diets, these lifestyles, it's all about eating more plants. And 
whatever it is and just incorporating more plants and, and the thinking about what you need to eliminate can kind of be secondary if you think focus on what you get to eat more of and that's the beautiful amazing plants that we have all around us and in season things and just there's that's a lot easier and more fun to focus on than what you can't eat um so I think that's just a good message for people to take away from this. So speaking of um, eating a little bit more, let's talk a little bit about, I'd love your thoughts on this. Um, it's something I talk about a lot around here, around about mindful eating and how that's important for health. Even um, when you have a really busy, like you have, on-the-go lifestyle, how do you make mindful eating come with you when you're eating on the go? Um. And it is, it is an important, you know, mindfulness throughout our life is both a popular thing to say, but it's important. Um, we never know what tomorrow is and we need to have a sense of gratitude for where we are right at this moment because many people would like to trade places no matter what kind of pile of problems we think we have. So it's very important and mindfulness in our work, mindfulness in our family relationships, mindfulness in our Exercise when we park in the parking lot, of course, the classic leaving the yoga studio and then everybody's back driving like nuts in the parking lot is not mm -hmm. the best example. And you know, taking it from your mat uh, and taking it out there is is yoga, and that's what I love about the, the practice of yoga, amongst other things. But when it comes to the to the plate, uh, you know, there are obviously cultures and religions that will pause for thirty seconds and say a blessing, which is a mindful practice whether it's a religious blessing, whether it's thanking the farmer and the animal and or whatever it is that's on the plate. Um, chewing is an act of mindfulness. Uh, sitting with family and talking to each other during a meal is an act of mindfulness. These are goals. Uh, nobody's hitting those 100% in America anymore. I'm not. Um, you know, trying not to scarf down prepackaged fast food with no thought and, uh, and all. So, um, you know, there are a few tricks. Using a smaller plate is a mindful act that does reduce the number of calories. You know, using a salad plate as your main dish, using a small fork and a small spoon uh, has been shown to reduce. You, you by nature, are just going to fill it up a little less. You're going to eat a little slower. You're going to reduce the number of calories and perhaps actually eat slow enough that your body gets a clue uh, that it's full before you've downed a 2,000-calorie uh Cheesecake Factory uh, meal. Uh, when you're in a restaurant, asking for half of a large meal to be packaged right at the beginning, just package half of that up and I'll take it home after so you have lunch or dinner for tomorrow and don't run the risk of uh, eating the entire calorie-laden meal is a mindful act. Um, asking for no bread basket on the table is a mindful act. Uh, probably most of us don't need it, and uh, certainly that gets back to the gluten question. Um I mentioned chewing. There, there, there's a form of mindfulness where it's both a form of mindfulness and it's a form of biology to chew uh, 10, 20, 30 times. Yes. Uh, there's an author out there that calls it Judaism, uh, which is just a funny little term. Um, he, he talked about the fact that when he and his wife tried very hard to do that for a month, it was a very quiet, peaceful mm -hmm. home because they were so busy chewing. They didn't talk to each other during the meal. But these are all different approaches. But you know, stopping and thinking about counting your blessings, which is obviously the basis of most mindfulness. Yeah, I think just bringing awareness is, is really awesome. And then also, like you said, chewing. One of my mentors and the health coach says this quote that I love, which is just, our stomachs don't have teeth. So we need uh -huh. to chew our food to liquid, and, and that's that's really important. Yeah. 
So, that's an nutrition. That is a nutritional aspect. Absolutely. Yeah. So, talking about um, kind of shifting things to locally a little bit um, in other states and other areas, you know, it's like you can't walk two feet without seeing big cities, especially without seeing a juice bar, or a vegan restaurant, or you know, things like of that nature. But why do you think Detroit is so behind when it's compared to other places in the country? Um, for wellness in, in this local community, and what will it take for it to catch up? Well, okay. I mean, I'm not sure no, that I necessarily conclude the same thing because we have, of course, one of the pearls of the world, which is the Detroit Eastern Market. Uh, it'll celebrate its 125th anniversary in 2016. I know that because I was just at a fundraiser Friday night in Shed 5, and there was a energy about the Eastern market. These were corporate CEOs and Mitch Album and Senator Stabenow and people were recognizing what a jewel we have for the, uh, well, it's year round open now. It's year round on Saturdays and just summer on Tuesdays. So, um, and you know, the spread of farmer markets across our Detroit area as is happening across the country to get factory to, uh, take the back farm to table produce and such, uh, is a wonderful explosion. Um, you know, we're probably a lot of this Manhattan is a walking town and juice bars, every other block, like a Starbucks are just going to work because a hundred thousand people are going to walk by and we don't quite have that downtown feel in many parts of the city as in many other cities. So I think, um, it's going to be a little bit more difficult just from that pure geography and density of people aspect. Um, takes a lot of people to walk by for one to go in and buy $8 raw juice, but, uh, in Manhattan and, um, you know, Santa Monica Boulevard, it works just great. Um, so some of it's that, um, you know, our economy hasn't been great and it is not always more expensive to eat healthy, um, bean stews and uh, soy tacos and, um, rice and beans are extremely inexpensive vegetarian options for families, uh, on a budget, but you know, an $8, uh, glass of juice or, I had an unbelievable shaga tea yesterday with ginger and uh, cayenne and um, or some other good stuff, you know, for $7.50 for a glass of tea on the go after yoga. But, you know, we're going to shop ourselves out of the market if we can't get prices down a little bit. So I think there's a bunch of dynamics. I'm very optimistic that Detroit and our green, you know, farming market, uh, both the markets and the you know, gro- <laughs> the grocers, and the farming, the urban farming is the word I was looking for, um, are going to make Detroit one of the centers of the country. In fact, that's the plan down at the Eastern Market, and that's the corporate focus is to make Detroit with, you know, Danny Gilbert's plan to knock down a lot of these empty buildings and increase ability to farm that we may in 10 years be sitting in one of the best examples of uh, green uh, life around the country, which I look forward to, and you and I are going to help make it happen. Absolutely, and I am so excited. I'm just, I stood up, just like you said, and I'm cheering because I'm getting my functional exercise in because I'm so excited (laughs) and passionate about all the great things happening here in Detroit and in Michigan, and um, and, and I love that. And I think, you know, again, like I said before, bringing this conversation and having conversations like we're having right now and just bringing awareness to people, I think that's really the first step. So I think that's awesome. And, um, and I'm super excited about it. And I know there are places, um, that chaga tea sounds amazing. Where did you get that? <laughs> I'll give a plug. That was 
at Be Well and Old Woodward oh, and Burger. Oh, yeah, it's the best. So and, and I got to tell you, that was a good cup of tea. And if anybody doesn't know what shaga is, you're going to totally gross out because shaga is a mushroom. It's so and It's good. got some amazing healing properties. It's been used as both a food source and a fuel source for uh, thousands of years uh, in old cultures. And you can brew it up and make a tea that has some great healing properties. Uh, uh, it doesn't taste like you're drinking mushroom soup but uh no it's super good yeah um yay well that's amazing and i know there are so many great places like the cacao tree and be well and so many so many cool places doing awesome things around here so i'm just excited to keep seeing more and more of them um so speaking of of raw vegan food um i'd love your opinions a little bit about raw versus cooked food and your thoughts on maintaining a raw lifestyle kind of in a place like this where we live where it's cold for most of the year or a pretty good chunk of the year and that may not work for some people's bodies so um talking about um benefits of raw food versus cooking um plant-based food yeah you know i can give you my opinion um I haven't done independent science on this, but I, I am a pretty good student of uh, two people. One is Dr. Gabriel Cousins, who is a physician and has a center outside of Tucson called Tree of Life. And then another uh, PhD, Dr. Brian Clements, C-L-E-M-E-N-T-S, who has a healing center in West Palm Beach called Hippocrates Health Institute. They're both um, speakers, authors, healers. Uh, they run centers that treat thousands of people a year. I've been to um, one of them for quite a while. And um, the power of raw food to contain living enzymes and living energy, so that would be sprouts and sea vegetables and wheatgrass and such, um, I am very impressed that some component of that uh, in our diet, I would add blue-green algae to that, uh, the holy trio of uh, Sea vegetables, um, sprouts, and uh, blue-green algae is three of the best add-ons to a diet to energize it and all. And you're going to get that in uh, raw foods. Um, you're not once you cook them, you may have many properties like fiber and some vitamins and such, but you're going to have lost any of the living enzymes uh, that may be contained. So. I make sure that a good portion of my diet is raw, and I don't really uh, take the time to prepare raw food in the house. I do enjoy when I'm out at a cacao or other place um, to be uh, selecting raw items. But, I mean, I'm eating apples and oranges and bananas and berries and carrots and celery, and I juice, uh, which if I quickly drink it is going to be raw and such. So, um, And I would encourage others to do that. Uh, you know, canned foods have gotten a bad rap for a lot of reasons, uh, salt and lately BPA linings. And I think that's probably a good plan to stay away. Frozen fruits and vegetables in our community where it does get pretty dark and cold for four or five months and we're not going to have uh, farm-to-table produce, um, frozen is a not bad option. And, um, you know, it's right from being harvested to washed to frozen, and there may be some quite good nutrition that's still available. Yeah, that's really practical advice on that, um, and I completely agree. So shifting focus a little bit away from the food, um, I would love to talk about music a little bit. Could you talk to us about the benefits of, of music on health and exercise and your kind of your personal relationship with music? And I'd love to hear a little bit about your Broadway show. <laughs> well, you know, so in a general sense, I think every listener would say that there's been some time or maybe many times in their life that music has really been 
an uplifting uh, thing and a playlist uh, has given them some happiness or peace or insight. Um, and I certainly can say that. Um, even from a medical standpoint, there have been previous work that if you're going to the operating room or going to a procedure and there's music playing, generally people need less sedation and less morphine and less Dilaudid, so that means there's less complications. So uh, there's value there. And just recently, about two months ago at a medical meeting in Europe, they, with some investigators, presented very interesting research that they tested. It's a sophisticated way, sophisticated way of testing artery function, and I'm an artery guy. And they tested it before and after music was played. And there actually was documented and uh, actual improvement in artery function by uh, listening to music. So it's now on my list. I did write, again, a little piece on my own body green about the benefits of music on heart health. Um, yeah, it's it's, it's really a real good. thing. Um, and in, so I like very eclectic music. My um, recent uh, interest, as we talked a little bit the other day, is in practicing kundalini yoga and learning some of the music that's somewhat unique to kundalini yoga, um, kirtan music and some of the uh, singers, it just, it's captivated me. I just can't get enough of uh, the calming and peaceful and me too. Um, sounds and vibes. Uh, of course, I don't speak Sanskrit and some of this is in Sanskrit and some is in English, but just wonderful stuff. So yes, I did, uh, I went over the deep end a while back and invested in, the startup of a musical that was based on the life of a remarkable rabbi who wrote thousands of songs and played with Bob Dylan and played with Joan Baez and had a house in Haight-Ashbury in the 60s and then right next to the Grateful Dead, even though he was an Orthodox rabbi. And that show just finished a three-month run on Broadway and now is going to go on tour called Soul Doctor. But it's been an interesting experience. I don't plan to retire on the proceeds. It's uh, more insanity than financial planning, but had a lot of fun <laughs> with it and um you know my favorite line in that show i was thinking about that this morning was um there was, there was a statement by rabbi carl bach is his name that uh somebody was asking why he didn't get angry at somebody why wasn't he reaching out and uh reacting back and his answer was if i had two hearts one for hate and one for love i would hate that person right now but the only heart i have is made for love and that's all i know how to do and uh. you know, it's it's kind of a nice moving moment, both in the show. It was an actual quote, uh, not a bad goal for most of us. And uh, anyway, so that's wow. a little, little spiritual bucket of mine. Yeah, I love that quote so much. And it's so perfect for you being a heart guy and all. Right. That's I true. Love that. There is only one heart. So fill it. You got to be, you know, we haven't talked about this, but you really do have to be careful with your brain. Um, I don't like the news on, I get my headlines and I don't want to say I'm not involved with the problems in the world, but if all you're listening to is 24 seven is news and all the bad that's out there, it's very hard to smile at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's good stuff right in front of you, but you're listening to the news and, uh, so you gotta be careful what goes in and that's in upbeat music and reading upbeat materials, hanging around upbeat people. That's certainly, I go to a spin class and I have a wonderful time in spin class. Uh, but it's a little different feel. It's not necessarily one of us supporting the other in an open way. And you go to a yoga class and there's such a palpable feel of a community supporting each other. Um, the language of, uh, you know, falling down and getting back up together. And that's you know, reason number 112 why yoga is such a unique thing in America yeah. nowadays. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, 
And I and I love what you said there about kind of avoiding the news, especially in the morning. I know Marion Williamson has this amazing quote, and she was I recently heard her talking about this, and she's like, people wonder why they are tired at by noon. It's because they start the day with coffee and with news, and it's like no wonder you're drained by noon. You know, the toxin, toxin. So if you can really keep the the positivity up and and keep. Um, keep your brain as healthy as your body, I think that's definitely huge. So so morning routines kind of is my next question I was going to ask you. I was going to get super personal. So this is kind of a great segue. So this is one question I absolutely love asking everybody who comes on the show because I feel like it's a great way to kind of look into their lives. So could you walk us through your morning routine and maybe the first three things or the first couple of things you do in the morning um, to kind of get you up and, and prepared for the day and, and why it's important to do these things in the morning for how the rest of your day goes? Sure. So, you know, I usually roll out of bed about 10 a.m. and I get a pedicure and I sit in the sauna for an hour and a half and I read some Yogi Bijan and, uh, you know, about one o'clock, I think about work. Uh, uh, that'd be nice. But unfortunately, I have about a 90-hour work week and um, and that doesn't happen. And sometimes it's 4.30 in the morning to make it to the gym by 5 for a spin class and sometimes it's make it to the hospital by 5.30. So, um one, I do try and get sleep. I do more than I ever did in my life, try and get six and a half to seven hours a night. Seven hours is really important. Seven and a half, um, you proud, you, know, you can do everything wrong in your life and live to 100, so there is no magic that guarantees. But in general, trying to get seven hours of sleep a night, which for me means trying to get to bed by 10, 10, 30, uh, 11. Um, so that's one thing I do. Two, I do get up. I do generally have a glass of warm water with a lemon little Ayurvedic uh, start to an alkaline day. Um, just recently, one of my yoga instructors has me putting a little bit of Tulsi or a Copa or Ashwagandha. These are little green powders from the Indian tradition and kind of in there and gives you a little uh, energizing, actually more. Um, I do usually pause on awakening for about 30 seconds to say a little traditional, actually Jewish prayer, uh, thanking the Lord for letting me have another day, something I learned way back as a kid. Uh, I didn't grow up in a very traditional house in terms of Orthodox, but nonetheless, it's something that I probably about 90% of the time just pause for a minute to be grateful. It's kind of like Shavasana at the end of yoga, but starting the day that way, usually still lying in bed. Um, and then um, breakfast is usually on the run. I do have a Nutribullet, that wonderful little $80, $90, $100 little device. So that's my go-to for berries and greens and maca powder and spirulina and chlorella and flaxseed and almond milk and zip, zip, zip them out the door. Um, sometimes uh, I eat at the hospital. They have a decent oatmeal bar, so I think I'm going to touch. Um, I drink coffee. Coffee has a lot of merit. Coffee's not on the bad list nowadays. Um, maybe keep it to three, four cups a day max. Uh, do a lot of green tea during the day. Uh, I usually like to throw a little soy or almond milk in there. Soy is not on a bad list. Soy is a good food and it's a healthful food, particularly edamame, natto, um, uh, tofu, uh, chick nuggets. For the whole, your whole life is probably not the best choice, but soy has gotten a very bad rap and undeservedly it actually clearly reduces prostate and breast cancer so anyways there's a lot of soy uh 
in my diet, um, but but largely unprocessed soy. Um, tempeh would be another soy example. Um, and then I work and I try and breathe. And um, I actually do think about breathing a few times during the day. Um, I do this little thing. I've, again, I hate to say, as I've written about this in Mind Body Green, it's called four seven eight breathing. If I'm going into a stressful situation or something, it takes me about 60 seconds to do a quick little breathing exercise. You put your tongue on the top of your mouth, you breathe in through your nose for four seconds, you hold it for seven seconds, you blow it out completely for eight seconds, and you do that four times. Um, And it's called 478 breathing. It's been shown to improve your parasympathetic nervous system and reduce your sympathetic nervous system. It's very similar to pranayama breathing and yoga, um, but it's something that... um, can give me some calm uh, for just a little place to hide for 60 seconds during the day. Um, try and have dinner with the family at the end of the day. My kids are grown, so uh, they may be around just to pop in or certainly with my wife. Um, I have had the luxury, but a lot of people uh, actually could do it. It's in the price range. Um, I have an infrared sauna in my house. Um, it's not terribly expensive. You can get one for under $1,000 or spend two or 3000 It's a very special kind of sauna very deeply penetrating. Uh, you sweat a lot um, and uh, you very quickly uh, can eliminate some toxins. So three, four, five times a week, I try and duck in there at a very high temperature for about 30 minutes. Um, uh, I take a lot of supplements. I believe in a very natural diet, but I still uh, have been trained and believe there's a little help to, I take CoQ10, I take vitamin D, um, I take some green powders. Uh, I don't know why, because I eat so much green, but I still do. Um, uh, the only thing I definitely do fast is moving your bowels. That's a funny vegan joke. Um, I, uh, <laughs> came, I came up with 22 ways you might know you're a vegan and my favorite one, and this was mine was if it takes longer to pee than to poop, you might be a vegan. Um, so enough green so powder. Funny. Anybody out there has got the big sea of constipation, come join the plant-based life. No problem with us. Um, that's a little bit just for humor and maybe TMI. <laughs> Um, you know, what else goes in the day? I'm, I'm a student. I think, you know, whatever you're a student of, whether it's yoga or engineering or finance or um, in my case, I'm a student of wellness. And that's reading about every aspect of health from mind, body to stents to, um, you know, food and the rest. So I'm, I'm constantly reading. Um, and that's one of the reasons the TV is not on much because there is only 24 hours in a day. So, oh, I don't know. I haven't been asked that question before, but uh, I, I love- try and incorporate, you know, most of the things we've talked about, I try and get them in during the week, if not every day. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad that, that it was the first time for you to get that question. Um, so the, the last question I have for you before we do some quick fire questions to wrap, but my last big question is this. So the name of my blog, as you know, and this podcast is The Wellness Wonderland. So when I offer that term to you, Dr. Khan, what do you, what does that make you think? And what does living in a wellness wonderland mean to you? Well, I think it's a wonderful term and I don't think we're quite there yet. Um, um, I don't, I think we're still, if I remember Alice in the Wonderland, I still think we're in the white and black phase. We haven't, uh. Or maybe that's Wizard of Oz when all of a sudden it turns into bright colors. Shame on Same me, thing. But, that's okay. <laughs> uh, mixed metaphors there. But um, it would, you know, it would be the 
I led a um, corporate wellness program at uh, one of our hospitals. Uh, I was in charge of 18,000 employees and trying to develop programs for their health. And a statement that I heard and I believe is you got to make the right thing to do the easy thing to do. Mm. And in our culture right now, the right thing to do, um, the easy thing to do is the wrong thing to do. It's bad vending machines. It's fast food. It's sitting on your rear end. It's stimulation 24 hours a day so you don't sleep. So my wonderland would be when it is – the easy thing to do is the right thing to do, and at work, in a cafeteria, in a vending machine, and a hospital, and a in a gym, and such. That there's in uh, as you drive down streets, that there's access to reasonably priced, healthy food options, not laden with chemicals and pesticides and uh, saturated fats and uh, preservatives and such. Um, and I think the change is going to happen that we build a movement back into our lifestyle, and we emphasize at work. Um, that people are important and that taking a break for their health is uh, both financially and morally important. Um, when we celebrate things in life uh, in a healthy way, when we have celebrate Nurses Day and it's not an ice cream social, um, when we bring it back to you know emphasizing uh, you know sense of community but celebrating in a way that's positive and uh, helpful. So. Um, you know, and we obviously got to we got to be nice to each other and that. Uh, there are pathways of personal growth through food, through exercise, through yoga, through mind-body that get us to give each other a giant hug a little bit more. So um, I helped out. Uh, I, I ran to the emergency room last night unexpectedly to see um, a gentleman who I'm acquainted with, have great respect for. I just wanted to help him a little bit in the emergency room so he didn't uh, get lost in the shuffle. And, you know, when it was all over and thank God his checkup proved to be fine, he turned to me and said, I just want you to know, I love you, Dr. Khan. I love Aww. you. Now for a guy to tell another guy, I love you is not always part of our culture. I knew where he was coming from. There was no doubt. It was in the very depths of his heart. You know, I turned right back and said, I love you too. And I mean, it just didn't want you to stress out here and get lost. And, you know, it, nice little moment. So that was a little piece of wonderland last night. I love that. That's exactly what I hope for the Wellness Wonderland to be and kind of emulate. So, awesome. So let's wrap up with some quick fire questions. Just say the first thing that comes to your mind. You ready? Oh, this could get me in big trouble. Okay, I'm This will be really fun. Okay, favorite color? Uh, green. <laughs> favorite health ritual? Uh, sauna. Favorite day of the week? Um, Monday. Favorite hour of the day? 10 p.m. Favorite in-season fall vegetable? Uh, pumpkin. Favorite fruit? Pomegranate. Favorite way to relax? Curtain mm, music. Favorite recent Detroit meal? Ooh, last night. Carry out vegan meal from Baco's restaurant in Southfield. The best vegan food in the whole world. If people don't know that and they live in the Detroit area, I usually eat there, but I didn't have time. So sorry, that was a long-winded answer. But I had a shaved trumpet mushroom, spinach salad, and then I had in paper some fall vegetable caper dish. Oh, it just went on and on. It was just unbelievable. But it's always like that every time. Yum. I can't wait to go there. I've never been there. On uh, Northwestern Highway by Franklin Racquet Club. Yeah, And I do not have a piece of the uh, ownership there. It's just I'm amazed what a good job they do. I'll, I'll have to go. I can't wait. Um, amazing. Usually I ask that question, and it's people who don't live by me, so this is super exciting. <laughs> okay, a couple more. What is your 
if you could have one superhero power for a day, what would it be? Oh, I would sweep down to every fast food restaurant and take out the fryers and the pop and um, all the saturated fat, and I'd leave them big, giant buckets of kale. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I love that one. What is your favorite on-the-go snack? Um, man, he's, 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 he's bailing here. He's not coming up with a quick one. <laughs> Actually, I'll, I'll give another plug. There is, um, I don't like food bars. There's two exceptions. Lara bars, because they're two ingredients only. And we have a local one called the Raw Flax Bar. It's made in Oak Park, sold in Southfield. So that actually have a whole stack because flaxseed is a really healthy product. So the Raw Flax Bar, F-L-A-X. Nice. Um, what is your favorite movie? Mm, forks over knives. Nice. <laughs> I want more people to watch it. What is your favorite book? Um, God, I read so many books. Um, my favorite favorite book actually in the last six months finding ultra by rich oh, yeah. that Love book ritual moved me and uh it speaks to addictions and food and exercise and personal growth finding ultra amazing yeah and ritual will be coming on my show soon so stay tuned Ooh, say that. hi i will um what about your favorite vacation um, you know, the, of those that I've taken, I'd say a bike trip through Tuscany with my wife, where you climb like a maniac, then you drink wine, then you go down as fast as you can and hold it on because you have so much wine in you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's as close as farm to table <laughs> as you're going to get. <laughs> well, I love that. What an amazing place to end. This has been an amazing transformational interview, and I know so many people will get great benefit from it. So thank you so much for stopping by Wonderland, Dr. Khan. Well, keep it going because we need these sparks and you're doing such a great job of uh, sharing sparks of light that we need. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks everybody for listening and we will see you next week. Bye. Bye bye. Thanks for listening. You made it all the way to the end. I'll be back next week, but until then, let's stay inspired and keep this conversation going. So tweet at me at Katie Dalebout and our guest with your aha moments from this conversation and like the Wellness Wonderland on Facebook so we can all hang out there and discuss how inspired we are and how we'll apply it in our daily lives. And never miss another episode or post from me by signing up for email updates on thewellnesswonderland.com. See you back in Wonderland.